Welcome everybody to Trig's Show. I'm here with Brian, Ellie, and we are staying on the West Coast here. We are talking hockey, baby. Like, this is a special episode. Very excited. You know, one of the voices of the San Jose Sharks, the TV announcer, Randy Hahn. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Good to be with all of you. I've got, like, bolts of lightning coming out of my head or sunset or something like that. So, uh, it's all good. You look fine. It's better than my drivel in the background. I looked that word up today, too. It's, it's, it works, dribble. So, all right, Randy, before we get into some hockey stuff here, first we'd like to ask our guests how you got into broadcasting, you know, your, your upbringing, um, if, if it was your lifelong dream and how it started. So take it away, man. It's, it's actually the most bizarre thing ever. But um, when I was 14, I used to watch the kids for the neighbor next door. And he worked at a TV station. He asked me if I wanted a part-time job picking stuff up and just, you know, cleaning up and hanging around and carrying boxes and stuff like that. So I went to work part-time while I was still in high school. And a year later, I, they had a radio station in the same TV station. This is a small little operation in Canada. And, um, and they asked me if I wanted to do a radio show. And I said, how much is the pay? And they said, $2.25 an hour. And I said, I'm in. And um, yeah, so I got to be on the radio when I was 15 and that's kind of become my life's work. I, it wasn't a plan. I, I did have a background in, in being a sports fan as a kid growing up with the radio, falling asleep in bed, listening to games and stuff like that. But I never really knew I wanted to be in sports. And I didn't really start out in sports. I was just uh, spinning records on Saturday and Sunday afternoons on this small little radio station in Canada and reading the news off a of, off of printed sheet that came out of a teletype machine, which none of you can probably relate to. And, um, and then it just morphed into more and more. And my dad at some point decided that I should probably get a real job because this would never lead to anything. And I should work in construction with him in the summers and then go into real estate because that's where all the money was. And I tried that and I hated it. And then eventually I just kept doing this. And it, so far it's worked out as long as I don't screw it up. Right. So what was your first like sport experience? It My wasn't, first sport yeah. that I ever called was the play-by-play of a dog sled race. Wow. Yes. Not, not I did a rod, because that would be like saying, yeah, the first thing I ever did in football was the Super Bowl, because <laughs> if you know anything about dog sled racing, and clearly you do, um, you know that the Iditarod is the, is the pinnacle. That's, the, that's the cream of the crop. You don't start there. You work your way up through the minor leagues. So this was a small little dog sled race in my hometown. It was our winter carnival, and, um, and it wasn't really the play-by-play. It was actually the paw-by-paw. So, um, you know, and um, that is, I swear to God, that is the first thing that I ever described that it was that was close to athletic. I mean, it was canine athletic, but you know, the, 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 the driver or, I mean, of course you guys know this, the the person who, you know, uh, is on the dog sled, the human is, is the musher, the musher. Um, you know, there's some athleticism in there, you know, you got to crack the whip and hang on and, you know, not fall into an icy crevasse and die. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. The, the paw by paw, paw by paw of a dog sled race. Now, how do you prepare for that? I just have to ask, like, and when you got into, Hey man, you're going to do the, the, the dog race. Were you like, huh? Or, yeah, yeah no, like, exactly. <laughs> I had no idea, but I, I had no clue. 
Did I you mean, sound was, like an auctioneer? Like, and down the no, 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 like very fast. It, not it, even it was, no, it was like I was far away up on a up, up on a cliff, <laughs> looking down at a frozen river. This is how this was set up. So the dogs are racing down the river. I'm on a cliff with binoculars, looking down at the dogs, <laughs> and my color commentator is a a, a, a local um, you know Aboriginal uh, chief of this Indian nation, and he knew something about dogs, and like he could differentiate one sled from the next. So I was leaning on him, and uh, yeah, we, it ended up uh, that was it. But I'm sure glad I don't have tape of it. Yeah, I was going to ask: Is there any audio of that no, anywhere? No, thank no. God. <laughs> there was. No, would you that would show ruin, That would ruin my career. Uh, no, it would be terrible. Yeah, I'm, so I'm sure everything I did for the first like two or three years of being on the radio was terrible. We once, we once were, um, and, and and my buddy, I got him into it too. This we're in high school. We're like 17, 16. and and I got him into the radio station as a part-time thing too. And he started doing the DJ thing too. I mean, they were paying us nothing. So we were cheap labor. It's a small town. It's a town of about 20,000 people, this small little radio station. And once the, uh, the communication link, this was a, a, a wire between the station and the transmitter site, which was up on the mountain in town was severed by a crane. So we had to all broadcast from this little transmitter shack. And, um, <laughs> And we went up there on a Saturday night. We're we're playing. The, the, we had no turntable to spin records, so we had to play uh, music off our cassettes. We had our own homemade cassettes, and we we're playing our own songs. And our friends were were coming up there, and they couldn't call us because we had no phone. There's no cell phones then. So they were driving up to this location and just telling us what to play. And there might have been beer involved. And we interviewed squirrels, and yeah. So that's the, amazing. The, we had a free reign to do whatever we wanted pretty much. And God bless the people that gave us the chance to be on this radio station because we kept them on the air and we, we did our thing and we were kids and they, they, um, they let us have the keys to this expensive equipment and all that. But uh, it ended up being a spark of, of a career and a life's work. Hey, that's, that's, I have to say we've done 82 episodes interviews this that's one of the more interesting stories i've ever heard in my in all the episodes so like god bless man uh, I'll, i i want to i want to pass the brian first and then ellie just got no ellie's probably got a lot so i was gonna say it's um it's it's funny how i feel like a lot of people don't give announcers of especially major sports franchises a lot more credit because you don't realize how important you are to so many people watching the games. Like everyone knows who's doing the color commentary, who's announcing the game of your team and even of other teams. I mean, even people like um, uh, Doc Emmerich, you know, like I'm pretty sure he's patented the word Kareem and nobody else can say that in the world. You know, that's his thing. I but, don't, I've never used Kareem. But the, but the thing is, nobody else can can take that, you know, and it's so important to the game and the team itself. Um, how did you kind of find your voice? Because I know, like, I, if I was ever in that position, I mean, we all have that, like, stereotypical, like, announcer voice. Oh, like, the announcer voice? Like, the shot. Yeah, like, yeah. how did you kind of find your voice? That's a really good question. I, I don't think I've ever been asked that before, and I don't really know that I have a, a legit answer. But 
it, you know, it's a process. And when you start out, you're, you, you, it's like athletes. You know, the, big, the most important thing for an athlete, aside from the, the talent that he has or she has, is confidence. Mm-hmm. And confidence is what drives you and, and boosts you and allows you to become better and be, become successful in what you do. And, and I think that the, the voice that you find for yourself in what I, what I do comes with that confidence. So, you know, early on and, you know, a dog sled race led to, to this and that. And, and, then, and then when I went to college in Vancouver, I'm Canadian, um, went to uh, University of British Columbia in Vancouver, and I, I got a job there at a radio station in Vancouver, which is now we're talking major market. We're talking yeah. one of the top three uh, most populated cities in Canada, like two or three million people. And working in radio there was a, a whole, I mean, that's like now that's the big leagues compared to where I was. Um, and and I know early on, I, I lacked some of that confidence, but the more you get and the more uh, comfortable you feel in your own skin when you're talking and and all that. And, and that's, that's where, uh, you know, you find your voice. And and I think that along the way, it was also um, a, a real turning point for me was to not take it quite so seriously. Mm-hmm. And with hockey, especially in Canada, it's it's real serious. Like yeah. it's it's like the NFL here. I, I mean, and it might even be like the NFL times too, right, right. because it's such a it's intertwined in the fabric of of the whole culture and, and everything. And, and hockey is the number one game in Canada. This is, there's nothing else um, that, that can, can compete. And you so it's taken NFL. very seriously. It's sacred. So because of that, you, you tend to not want to um, have a good time and be fun and have fun. And when I moved to the U S in 1982, I moved to San Diego from Edmonton and then eventually got started working for the LA Kings I, I, I was prompted to take it a little easy, like be a little more lighthearted about it and have some more fun. And especially in a sport like hockey, which is not um, native to California, certainly at all. Um, fans want to be entertained. They want to have a good time uh, when they're listening or watching. So it was a big turning point for me. And I, I guess where I really found my voice was when I was comfortable enough to also have fun while I was on the air and, and share a joke with the viewer. And, and it, it, it really did change a lot of things for me when that happened. That's real cool. I just wanted to hop on what Brian was saying, though. How, you know, that's a good point, Brian, you made. Like, you guys don't realize, uh, maybe you do, but just from a perspective of a fan, like, you guys are intertwined in us as the fan. Like when, when like the Yankees, John Sterling, you know, and it's like, it, you know, knock on wood, when he does eventually pass, it's like, man, that, that hits hard because like that's the voice. You listen to these people more than you almost hear your parents' voice in a weird way. I mean, there's 162 games a year in baseball, 82 in hockey. And so like, it is really cool to talk to you guys. Um, you know, just I just want you to know that you guys across the board are appreciative, and you mean more to our home lives as as much as you think. You know, more than you might think. Well, and, and I've come to appreciate that from over the years. I mean, this is my thirtieth year with the Sharks, and as I said, I you know did other teams and other leagues and other sports. So uh, you know, I, I don't try not to get too tied up in in that because I. I just feel like I'm a regular person, but um, I do feel the connection, and, and it's really important to me. Cool. All right, Ellie, go go for it. Unload. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so I can't believe you worked with the Kings. Like, oh, boy. But anyways, how did you go then from L.A. or San Diego, L.A. to then San Jose? How did that 
Well, when I moved to San Diego, it was to do soccer. And actually, soccer okay. is where I really cut my teeth. And, and at the beginning, it was indoor soccer. Oh, uh, nice. Which was kind of popular in the 80s, 90s, the MISL. Yeah. And, you know, there was the New York Arrows and there was the San Diego Soccers. And that was the team I did. And I was really lucky because I was with them for 10 years. And they won the championship nine times in 10 years. Whoa. So I was, I was not only um, getting a chance to do that, that rep, repetitions, which we all need in, in what we do to get better. Um, I was getting to do it for a team that kept winning all the time and kind of raised the, um, the level of uh, importance of that team and that sport at that time, because they were the champions almost every year. So um, that, that, took me to San Diego. And from there, uh, because we were on the same channel that the Kings were on, the oh. Kings recognized maybe something I was doing and, and put me on the air as their pre and um, intermission and post-game TV host. And that was my first big TV gig. I was doing TV soccer, but but that was my first big TV gig. And then from, from that point, um, my wife at the time was also in television. And she got a job in San Jose here in the Bay Area. This was back in... 1988-89 and it was right around the time that San Jose also built the arena which is now SAP right. Center where the Sharks play and so right, right, we had right. just voted to build the arena we moved into town and there was an article in the newspaper about some guys meeting at a pizza place and wanted to talk about could there ever be an NHL team in San Jose so I went to that pizza place and you know there was a bunch of guys who were just walking around with banners and shirts and drinking beer and and belching and going rah rah we want hockey but then there was also a couple of guys who were lawyers and they were but they were good dudes and they they really wanted to actually put together a business plan to bring the Sharks to San Jose or bring an nice. NHL team to San Jose to this new arena because everybody right. thought the Warriors were going to move from Oakland to San Jose at that time. Mm. This is like um, no. late 80s, early no. 90s because the old Oakland Coliseum Arena was, was just was crappy. It was terrible. It was falling apart and they wanted it fixed and they, there was no money to fix it. So the kind of it was implied they were going to move to this new arena in San Jose and we were thinking, nah, this sounds like a leverage play and we think the best shot is to get hockey. So we formed this organization called NHL Hockey San Jose, which we later had to rename um, Pro Hockey San Jose, because believe it or not, the NHL is actually a trademark. But um, anyway, yeah. uh, so we formed this organization, uh, got about four or 5,000 people to sign up to try and bring the uh, an NHL team to this new arena. Long story short, we attracted an ownership group we didn't have the money ourselves, but we brought, brought people in who had the money, and, and eventually it happened, and, and part of it was because of what we did. So that's how I kind of got into the Bay Area hockey scene, and then once the Sharks actually became a thing, they hired me. So, 91. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and um, I'm not going to lie, part of my reason for being involved in trying to make the thing happen was, you know, maybe if the team does come to fruition, I could be one of the announcers, and that's what what happened, and Bingo. so far so good. That's smart, Bingo. Yeah, that okay, smart. so I'm going to – I got some Bay Area hockey trivia. What team was there before the Sharks? Well, there, you know, there was the California Golden Seals that there later became the Oakland Seals. Yep. And Bingo. then they left, and <laughs> they went to Cleveland, and then Cleveland went to – Minnesota, it, it actually turns out that the Seals kind of in a way, if you track where the franchises moved around, 
the, the seals ended up becoming the sharks in a very roundabout way, but they're connected through the yeah. franchises that moved and, and the various uh, spinoffs of, of the teams and expansion drafts and dispersal drafts and all that. But yeah, it was the old seals. They had white skates at one point. That's cool. I'm so glad yeah, you answered that correctly that. because if you didn't, I would have had to edit that out because I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass you. <laughs> I'm trying to make this a non-edit show for you here. We're trying to be clean. <laughs> uh, go on, Ellie. Okay, so that was my one a difficult question. I'm impressed with your Oakland Seals knowledge, and well done. <laughs> um, so then. Next thing, okay, so do you interact with the players ever, or, like, how often, or is it, like, I mean, obviously now with COVID, I'm sure it's very limited to, like, before pre-COVID, like, could you go hang out in the locker room, or? Well, I mean, the way it works, and this year is the, the huge yeah. exception, of course, for everything, but normally, um, we travel on the, on the team charter, so we're on the plane with the players, we stay in the same hotel, we travel in the same buses, and, you know, go to the morning skate when we're on the road and go do the morning skate when we're at home and go into the locker room and all that. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're alongside them a lot more when we're on the road than at home because right. they have lives and we have lives. But once we're on right. the road, we're like, we're like a rock band, man. You know, we're just traveling all together and going from city to city. And, you know, I'll never forget when I was working for the LA Kings and traveling with them. And that's when Wayne Gretzky was there. And, and he, he made such a huge splash in Southern California at that time. I, I remember sitting in the, uh, the VIP lounge after games at, at a table with Magic Johnson, who was at the games. And, wow. you know, um, we would roll with the Kings and Gretzky. And it, it really, you felt like you're with the Rolling Stones because you'd go to a hotel and there was all the security and all the fans, especially when you went to Canada. It was, it was insane. Oh, yeah. It's not like that with the Sharks all the time. You know, there's fans around. But, um, yeah, we're in, we're in regular contact. And you kind of miss that, too, because you don't have the connection this year. Just, yeah, they're your buddies. They're your Sorry, buddies. Ellie, sure. I just want to touch on the Gretzky thing. All right, in Canada, obviously, God. Like, I want to know... Because, like, obviously hockey, you could argue, is the fourth sport in the U.S. We love hockey, but, like, it's the fourth sport, maybe third. But, like, how big was Gretzky in L.A.? Was he, was he, as, was he more popular than you thought he'd be? Did he transition to the U.S. as much as you thought? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, I really believe this, that if Wayne Gretzky hadn't have gone to L.A., I'm not sure the Sharks would have happened mm. because he – he sparked a, an interest in the sport in the most populated state in the nation. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's more people in California than there are in Canada. Mm, and Canada is the second largest country in the world in size. So uh, the impact he had in this state was, was phenomenal. And uh, I, I really think that it's because of him that both the Sharks and the Ducks have been able to not only exist, but flourish. And, of course, there's ups and downs from year to year, but Gretzky was really the spark that, that turned California and the Sun Belt into hockey. And then after that, you had the Florida teams come in and teams like Nashville and Arizona, you right. know, Winnipeg moving to Phoenix and right, yeah. so on, Dallas and so on and so on. And, and I really think that, that he had a lot to do with that because during that time in L.A., I mean, it, he was – it was a big deal. I mean, I remember we had a we had a little studio where we do the uh, pre and intermission uh, shows at the, at the old Great Western Forum in Inglewood, uh, great neighborhood, and um, not and um, <laughs> like you would you would 
like race to get into the grounds and then get out of there as fast as you could. It's yeah, kind of like, can be kind of rough. like going to the Prudential Center in Newark, right? And like, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, um, we, I, I was, I was going to, we had a little restroom and it was also the restroom that the celebs that would sit right at ice level along the glass would also use. Mm. So I'm, it's early in the season and you know, it's the Gretzky era and I'm, I'm standing at the stall, right? And it's there's like three, four in a row. I'm trying to clean this up here for your obviously family audience. Oh, and go on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, stand, I'm standing there, and uh, and you know you, the, the kind of guy code is you don't you don't look too much to the right or the left, right? You do your business and get out of there. It's not like you have a conversation there unless you're both hammered. That's different. But I'm working, and there's a dude next to me, and he's he's not that tall, but he's, he's kind of wide, and he's got his arms out and doing his thing. And I turn, it's Sylvester Stallone. Wow. So, <laughs> so now I'm I'm standing at the stall next to Sly, and uh, yeah, so that's the way it was. And then the next game, it would be, uh, you know, on the glass would be, you know, Kurt. Uh, Russell and Goldie Hawn, and then wow. um, Ronald Reagan would come to a game. And, you know, he was just, he attracted that whole L.A. celebrity vibe thing in a way that no hockey player ever before had, and I would I would argue no one ever right. has so since. It's kind of like what the Galaxy tried to do with Beckham, and it, it, it didn't just, really it didn't. work out. Kind yeah, of. It just, that's not, it's just not the same thing. Right. Um, it's a different experience and you know, the, the LA crowd that, that went to Laker games and tried to sit courtside with Jack Nicholson on all that, they would go to Kings games because it's that, it was that same building and that same vibe, uh, in a big outdoor 30, 40,000 seat stadium. It's not the same. That's a luxury suite vibe and it's different. Oh, no, that's cool. That's that's so insightful, man. That was that was a great story. <laughs> like, and, and another one of my great experiences was on. Um, flying to a Kings game once. Um, I had to fly commercial. The team was, you know, um, on the charter, but I had something else or there was a network game that I wasn't going to do. And I jumped on the plane and I was able to upgrade. And I sit down and I turn around and the guy next to me is John Candy. And he was a big Hi. Kings fan, and I already knew that. And then we we spent the whole five-hour flight to New York talking about the Kings and stuff like that. So uh, great memories from that time. I met some really uh, interesting people. God bless you, man. That that sounds like sounds like I should have been hanging out with you instead of Brian my whole life. <laughs> Jesus. Well, let, me, let me ask one more Gretzky question while we're on it, though. Now, we didn't get to see – Obviously, Gretzky's like the prime of his career. We caught like the tail end of it. I'm a Rangers fan, so I got to see him when he was on the Rangers. I ended up going to a game one time with him and Messier were there. But like, how much better was he than just every other player out there? Like, what was he doing that was so phenomenal? I think, you know, there were so many things he could do. He's the all-time goal scorer. Mm -hmm. He's the all-time leader in assists. He has more assists than anyone else has points. Yeah, um, he's the all-time points leader, of course. He has, I think it's, it's it's over fifty records that he still has. 
and he retired in 1999 and no one's broken any yeah. of those as far as I know since he retired and, and it was a different era then the goalies weren't as good and you know the yeah. goalie was usually, usually the worst athlete on the team back then and now often is is the best the, so the game's changed for sure and coaching's gotten better and defenses have gotten more stingy but I think the one thing that separated Wayne from anybody else was, and you hear this phrase used a lot hockey IQ and that ability to see the game in your brain and you you have to you almost have to have it to make it to the NHL but Wayne had it at such a high level that his hockey IQ al- allowed him to visualize plays much sooner before they happened than everyone else on the ice mm-hmm. and once the players that were smart enough playing with him figured that out he would put them into positions so that they would make plays and he would make plays that would result in pucks going into the net. And, and it was just a, it was a unique vision of seeing the sport slow down. It's, it's the fastest sport. There's no question. Yeah. It's the fastest sport. I mean, I don't I include, you know, NASCAR or anything like that. I'm talking about where humans are on their feet and, and, and it's the fastest game. And he was able to slow that down in his brain into some sort of a weird slow motion way that he could see all the pieces in slow motion when everybody else was panicking because it was going so fast. Great. Great. Beautiful. I, I got, yeah, I got some sharks questions, but Ellie, if you want to take it, go for it. Here's my turn. No. <laughs> okay. So, um, hold on one more thing real quick. Yeah. Would you, would you compare Sidney Crosby to Wayne Gretzky? I would compare them and say that Sidney Crosby has a lot of those same characteristics. Right. It didn't go the way uh, I want. But, it, but, it's, but it's not fair because the, the league and the game is, is so different for yeah. Sidney than yeah. it was for yeah. when Wayne was playing. It's, it's not a fair comparison. But if not you're going to ask me straight up, do I think Sidney Crosby was as good a, a, a hockey player as Wayne Gretzky? I would say that he comes up a little bit short, but he's certainly in the next group. Yeah, it's like trying to compare Jordan and LeBron. It's two different. Oh, Jordan times. all day. Jordan all day. Or, or, or I mean, Michael Jordan never scored a hundred points, but Will Chamberlain. Right, right. You know, it's errors. To errors yeah. are tough. Errors are tough. We we could conclude that. Yeah. Go on, Ellie. Okay, so when does your day start and when does your day end? And like, what are your pre-game operations and like post-game operations? Like, what I know you've got to do a lot of prep work. Like. What all goes into that, like game day? Yeah. Like when does game day start? Like I'm sure it probably starts the day before. Yeah, all that good stuff. Well, the, the, the prep work on non-game days is ongoing. I mean, you're you're getting online, you're reading all the stuff, and the Sharks do a great job of, um, and the NHL does of accumulating all the clips that are written about the team, and they send them all to you, and you know it gets narrowed down so you don't have to you know search for all that yourself, and that helps a lot. But basically, a, a normal game day in a normal season, which this isn't, um, right. I would be at the rink uh, probably by 10 a.m and watch the morning skate for the Sharks. Uh, Unfortunately, a few years ago, the Sharks split where they do the morning skate. They do it at their practice facility now. They used to do it at SAP Center. Yeah, they did it at the tank, I thought. Yeah, not anymore. They do it at uh, at their uh, practice rink. So you got to go there first. 
you know, and then you hear the coach talk to some players, get some information. Then you get in the car and you go to SAP, watch the visiting team, go through their skate, talk to their coach, talk to their players, and then go back home. And, and for me, normally I'll, I'll get home around noon and I like to go out for a run. You know, we've got great weather out here typically, and that's usually a year-round opportunity, which is a blessing. And and then from that point on, I'll, I'll go through my notes and fix them up and uh, get ready to go. This is if I'm at home. It changes a little bit on the road, but it's a similar right. um, routine. And then go back to the arena by about 4.30 for a 7.30 game. Sharks home games are almost always at 7.30, so we're one of the right. late starting teams. And yeah. You know, I like to get there about three hours ahead, start watching the East Coast games. Um, right. You know, a lot of times those are upcoming opponents. So you want yeah. to kind of keep, a, a, a keep in tune with the league. Or if, sure. you know, if Panarin goes off in the Ranger game and scores three goals, then I'm going to be able to refer to that on our broadcast on the West Coast later on uh, because I've already seen some of that. So I like to do that. I'll get a bite to eat. We'll have a production meeting. And then by 5.45, 6 o'clock, I'm up in the broadcast booth laying out all my stuff, getting my notes ready, my computer, and then the uh, warm-up skates at 7. We're usually doing some pre-production, some rehearsals of um, promos we have to read and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, we do a hit on the pregame show, usually about 7.15. And then at 7.30, we're live. And as soon as the game's over, I'm out. I'm out yeah. of there. And I, yeah. I drive as fast as I can and go home. Oh, I'm yeah. Out. And, oh, then yeah. I'm, and then he's I'm, answering I'm, random Facebook messages from random. Yeah. The weirdest <laughs> thing, one of the weirdest things about what we do in sports, uh, and it goes for writers too, but especially when you're live in the moment on the air on radio or TV, is that you get up at maybe 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, and the average person, you know, wakes up 7 or 8 o'clock, have some breakfast, go to work, right? Start working at 8 or 9. I wake up at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. I don't actually do what I'm judged on for 12 more hours. Yeah. So the last three or four hours of my day have to be my best. And that's right. the hardest thing at the beginning of the season to adjust to because you get tired. As you get older, you know, you get a little more tired and you have to take care of yourself in a different way. But you have to be at your best at the end of your day. Mm. And most of yeah. us are like cocktailing as some of us might be right now. Oh boy, Randy. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, buddy. No, you're right. Because, like, I, usually us workers at the end of the day are like, I'm mailing it in. So I just, no, no, you're you can't right. can't mail it in. And if you do, you get called out now on social media, right? You right. Scroll exactly. once, yes. Like, there's nine guys tweeting you, like, come on. <laughs> get a life. I do. You I do follow have... you around at your job as a plumber and then tweet every time you <laughs> screw up. I do. I do have a. I do have a shark question, Ellie. I'm not stealing this from you because I. I don't know if you're gonna have this one. To me, the 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 logo in hockey is so important, and, and like I think that like jersey. I love hockey jerseys because like I'm kind of overweight and they fit well, and I can wear basketball jerseys. So like I kind of veer towards hockey jerseys because they're like sweater and I'm shaped. You know, I have like a pudding body or whatever. So. <laughs> Like the Sharks logo, not is big so on the not big on the uh, the trim golf polo. Oh no, I bro, I'm, I'm a soccer fan, MLS, and I have two Red Bull jerseys, and they outline everything. It is horrifying <laughs> to watch. It's like it's like a lava lamp just moving when I'm jumping up and down. Enough about me though. So so so, 
<laughs> the logo is so important in hockey, and like the Sharks logo is just so cool. It just yes, I hate that I hate to bring it up, but like it does like the Penguins in an igloo. It works. The Penguins logo, the Sharks one, San Jose, the Shark Tank, everything just works. So when you guys were building that team in like ninety ninety one, what were other options for the team name? And well, there, were, there, were, there were a lot. Um, there was a ton of different names thrown out there. One of, the, one of the big ones that they thought, and it would have actually been ahead of its time, because way back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, American Airlines made San Jose one of their hubs. And the thought was when the Sharks came to be that they would become the San Jose Americans because oh, no one had that yeah. name, right? Yeah. You know, and now it seems really bad. But back then it was like, hey, this is new, you know, they weren't thinking, you know, a lot of people weren't thinking in terms of a mascot or America, uh, marketing and stuff like that. Thankfully, that, that never happened. Yeah, that's just... Uh, but there was Hammerheads, that was another one. That's when, cool. That's when it got two sharks. But, um, what they did with the logo was very clever. There's a guy named Matt Levin, and he was the marketing guru who was hired by the original ownership group. And they did a lot of focus groups, and, and, and what they did was they went into the inner city in Oakland. And at that time, you know, if you go back and look at, at hip-hop videos from the early 90s, late 80s, you know, when rap was first happening and, and the whole inner city, um, not only music vibe was going on, but the clothing vibe, whether it was FUBU or whatever it was, was happening at that time. A lot of that um, impetus was coming out of the inner city. So they went into Oakland and had these focus groups and did all these things about colors and logos and names. And a lot of that data that uh, came out of the inner city went into the decision-making with the Sharks, particularly with the logo and the colors. That's so and, cool. Uh, obviously, so they, cool. They, they hit on something that now here we are, this is the 30th year of the Sharks. 30 years later, that logo, and it's had some tweaks, and I love how you're representing, Ellie. Um, it's had some tweaks. Like I can get the original. I can get the original. Okay. Um, awesome. Uh, it, you know, it still works. And actually, the, the throwback, the original, and that works too. And that's, that's rare for pro sports. And, you know, there's some iconic logos in the NHL. Like, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs is one that will never change. The Montreal Canadiens. The Blackhawks. Like, yeah, the Blackhawks. And, and they've done a great job. Too. There's, yeah, there's the old school original. And, and it's changed a little bit, a little bit more orange in it. And it's been tweaked. But yeah, still- orange is like the tertiary color. Yeah, the, the basic logo still works and the color still works. Uh, it was it was tre- it seemed trendy at the time, but um, it's it's stood the test of time. To it reminds me of the Charlotte Hornets um, with yeah. the teal and purple. And at the time, people weren't for it. All of a sudden, it became like those Hornets jerseys are like iconic now. Yeah, those like '90s Hornets jerseys. So yeah. that's real. That's a cool story. How they did that with focus groups. What a smart idea. Jeez. God, I got to get into this business, Randy. Help me out, will you? So, <laughs> uh, go on, Ellie. Okay. So next question. Were you sad when Pavs left? Uh, yeah. Joe Pavelski was um, just a tremendous person, number one. Uh, he was a great captain uh, on a team that had Joe Thornton in the dressing room. And, you know, Joe's a huge personality. And yeah, you know, so it, I've all heard. Kind of, it always kind of was his dressing room, even when Pavelski was there. But he, he figured out a way to, to tiptoe around that, maneuver around it, and still be a, a respected leader. And, and the thing that made him the best as a leader was that he did it on the ice. 
You know, right. it wasn't like rah-rah speeches and, you know, pumping the guys up with, with talk. It was performance. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, he'll – I think his sweater will hang in the – the Sharks have oh. never retired – they've never retired a jersey in really? 30 years, which is yeah, rare. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Chichu's not up there? Nope. No. No, no. I, I think this is here, – here's my prediction. I think it's – the first one will go Marlowe. And he's still yeah, playing. Yes, so, yes, so yes, 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 yes. I think your number 12 will be the first one in the Raptors. I, I don't have inside info on this because I don't even know who decides. But um, I, I think he'll be the first one to go up. And then I think oh, Joe, yeah. Thornton, Joe Thornton will go after that. Yeah, Jumbo um, for sure. And, and, and I, I think eventually at some point, you know, Joe Pavelski will go up there too. He's just uh, a, a guy who at every level, even when he was a, a kid playing hockey, was told two things. You're too small and you're too slow. So then when he was a kid, he made the team, became the captain, and won the championship. High school, same thing for his high school team. You're too, you're too small and you're too slow. Made the team, became captain, won the championship. Then he went to the University of Wisconsin. Division One, NCAA. Two, you can't, you're, no scholarship, you're not going to make it. You're too small and you're too slow. Made the team, became the captain, won the NCAA championship. USHL, same thing. The only the only level that he hasn't repeated yet is one part of it. He came to the NHL. We drafted him in the sixth round. That's that's low. He's like two hundred and some high high one hundreds, low two hundreds draft. You know, if you're drafted in the sixth round, you're probably not going to make it. Made it, became the captain, and the only thing he hasn't done is won the Stanley Cup, and he was in the final last year for Dallas. So remarkable portion. <laughs> Now, with the Wisconsin team, I, I don't know how far back. Was that the same team that Stepan was on? Was that no, it would have been before that. Before that? Yeah, I don't know. It would have been before that. I'm not sure of the Badgers season, uh, That who else was on that roster with Joe, but uh, yeah. Let's not forget, too, former to Pittsburgh Penguin Patrick Marlowe. I mean, he did yes. come there. Oh, for what sure. a, you know, who, can, who can forget the Marlowe era in Steel City? <sighs> <laughs> uh, I, I do want to touch on that because I'm a Penguin oh. fan. I'm a Penguin fan, and in 2016, uh, we beat like the Penguins beat the Sharks in the Stanley Cup. Now, that was the only time the Sharks have been to a cup, and I hear from a lot of people, I'd rather get there. I'd rather not get there at all than get there and lose. Right. So in 2001, as a Yankee fan, I would have rather not even have been in the World Series than lose to the Diamondbacks. Did you get that? Yeah, but that's me. The Yankees have won 83. Yeah, more. right. We need more. We need no, more. Different, different, I want more. Different. I want more. You don't understand. So, I don't think you understand how bad San Jose wants a right, cup. Like, I don't think you get no, it. That's what I'm asking you guys. So, Randy, like, did you get the vibe that they were, I don't want to say happy to be there, but they wouldn't have gave that experience up, even though the heartbreak and stuff, it's no, like, what I, was the vibe? I don't think any of the players, and especially the fan base, I mean, I remember the night this vividly that they eliminated St. Louis in the Western conference final. And for the first time ever, the sharks were going to the Stanley cup and downtown San Jose was, you know, as the fans piled out of the arena, thankfully the deciding game was at home. It was crazy. And people were crying and hugging strangers. And um, you know, the, the, the amount of civic pride that comes from your sports teams came to the, to the forefront in a way that it hadn't since back in the nineties when the sharks upset Detroit, when they weren't even supposed to be in the playoffs <laughs> and they knocked off the number one speed Red Wings back in 94. So um, no, I don't think any of those players would say, I don't want to be there. I, I'd rather not have been there. Um, you know, the, the penguins were 
their speed was just better that they, they were a faster team they were better they were more uh more prepared they had players who'd been there more players who knew what it took and you know it, it just it just didn't turn out and they lost in six but no i don't think anybody would ever say that they'd rather not have gone to that than uh than lost i like how i compared the yankees who were going for a four peat that year yeah. <laughs> it makes no yeah. damn sense oh i have a question randy so were you surprised like I mean, you do, when you think California, you don't think you don't think hockey. Like, let's be honest. I mean, I'm a local. I'm from here. I'm a diehard hockey fan. But were you surprised at like how over time, like just how diehard the Sharks fan base has become? Like, I mean, I would literally die for that team, basically. Like, I would die for Patrick Marleau. Like, he that that is he's the man. Basically, you know what I'm saying? Like, were you surprised to see how like passionate Californians could be and like you know come behind these teams and be super supportive and be at every game? Did that surprise you? Well, it, it, I guess it did, but in a way, and this goes back to earlier in our conversation when I talked about starting that um, that basically a fan-driven organization to try and bring hockey to San Jose, we always felt that San Jose, which is the third largest city in California, it's bigger than San Francisco. Most people wouldn't realize that in population. It's It, it trails only Los Angeles and San Diego, so it's number three. It didn't really have its own soul when it came to pro sports. There was a, a soccer team, the Earthquakes, but yep. yeah. you know that that league back in those days, and, and MLS certainly has made huge strides and is is one of the five major leagues now, in my view. But um, back then, they weren't as as significant a, a, an entity or a team as far as the fabric of the community in San Jose, but. The fans in San Jose, and we did the research when I was, you know, trying to put that all together back in the late 80s. The majority of 49er fans were from San Jose area. The yep. majority of Giants and uh, Giants fans were from th that area. Not as much Warriors and A's because of the distance that needed to be traveled to get to those games. But yeah. the money was there. Silicon Valley was in its infancy, uh, a little past the infancy. It was starting to become uh, an economic engine, but they didn't have a team. They didn't have that. You turn on ESPN and watch the highlights and the, the San Jose blanks. And when the Sharks came... It gave the city that for the first time. And then in year three, for them to knock off the Red Wings and go to the second round of the playoffs and, and then go to game seven, eventually losing to Toronto, it galvanized civic pride. And I know that sounds like a hokey thing, civic pride. Yeah, go but for it. It, it isn't. It, it matters. And it, it matters in towns like Pittsburgh. And it matters in towns like Columbus. And it matters in places yeah. like San Jose where it's something that brings strangers together that have a common interest and a love for one thing. And it's why Yankee fans would hug and high-five one another in the Bronx, no matter what other borough they were from after uh, a World Series win. And it was the same in San Jose. When the Sharks won those big playoff games in the early 90s, it brought people together that had never had a common reason to want to have joy over a sports team before. And then the next morning, turn on ESPN and damn it, their, their city was first story and this was the huge upset in sports. And, and that's what really galvanized it. And it's been a it pretty much a, a, a great success story ever since. And as, as all things, there's ups and downs and there's, there's good years and bad and eras that are great and, and not so great. And, you know, who knows what this year will bring, but for the most part, the last uh, 
28 years since they moved from their first two years at the Cow Palace in I know. while their new rink was being built. Ever since being in San Jose, they've become a, a huge, huge part of the community, a, a real fabric that brings a lot of people together. That's really cool. Uh, Ellie, you got any more? Because I got a couple. You you wait. No. <laughs> but I will say, no, that's so true, like, about hugging Grand Fams, like, 2019, you know, the playoffs when they had, we had two Game 7s, we had Game 7s against Las Vegas, we had Game 7 against Blues. I, I was at Game 5 where they forced Game 6, and, like, because, you know, everyone, you can kind of feel the state, the atmosphere at the tank. People, some people are like, oh, crap, this might be it. Like, oh, you know, well, they tried. But then, you know, there's, like, people like me, like, no, we're going to do it. Like, this is our year. And, um, and they, you know, they won that game. I think it was like five to one or like five, something, something crazy or whatever. They forced game six. And like, I remember like just everyone in the stage just like high-fiving each other and just like being so stoked. Like, yes, we got one more game. Like we have another chance, like game six. And then, you know, when it goes to game seven, people just lose their friggin' minds, which being there, how intense is a game seven, like at the tank? Well, they're all, they're all intense, but there's right. never, there's never, and I've done two World Cups for ESPN and ABC in soccer. Um, and I've, I've been at a lot of, I've, I've been to a perfect game. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of amazing sporting events in my life. I've been very fortunate Super Bowls and, and World Series and NBA championships, but I've never been to a single sporting event that was more impactful and was more incredible than the game seven against the Vegas Golden Knights. I know! You guys, oh down, you guys are down 3 nothing that game, right? 3-1 three, three, in the series. Three, one in the series, yeah. Battled back to force a game seven. Down 3 nothing okay. with yeah. 10 minutes to go. Mm. The equivalent of, let's say, um, in, in the NFL, you're down 21 nothing, right? Because <laughs> three is three touchdowns, right? I always get a kick out of people who, who complain that hockey doesn't have enough scoring. They say, yeah, you go to an NFL game, it's like 21-14. That's way better than a – no, that's 3-2. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, and so it's 3 nothing with 10 minutes to go, and then the Sharks catch a break on a, on a major penalty call, and they have a five-minute power play, and they not only tied it, they went ahead, only to give that lead up with a, less than a minute to go – and then in overtime, and then they won it in overtime. It, uh, I've never experienced anything like that before, let alone broadcast it. That was the real um, fortune for me. I got to call that game, and uh, nothing else has come close. But Game 7s are always special. That one, I, I, the only thing that could top it would be if the Sharks were to win a Stanley Cup in Game 7. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. No, one more. Two okay. more. <laughs> Okay, so speaking of our other Joe, Jumbo is gone. Was that another, like, gut punch with Jumbo leaving? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've, we've had a series of, you know, um, Patrick Marlowe leaving. He's back now. Oh, my God. That Joe, has been the biggest, like, trauma of my life. Like, Joe I, Thornton husband, leaving. didn't understand. Uh, I mean, Joe Pavelski leaving, and then Joe Thornton. I mean, in succession, we're talking about if you're, if you're building a Mount Rushmore of the Sharks, there's a good chance, yeah. two, if not all three, are on it. So it's, right. it's been a, a very difficult uh, era for the Shark fan base to yes. see iconic players leave. But, you know, Joe's, yes. uh, Joe's the best player the Sharks have ever had. So, oh, yeah. Jumbo's the best. I mean, you, I mean, you can't – I mean, I had his poster hanging up in my college dorm. Like, Jumbo's – I mean, as much as I'm like – I'm a diehard Marlowe fan, but, like, there's something about Jumbo and, like, you know, his playoff beard. And, like, you know, he's, he's just kind of got this – you know, he's got this great off-ice personality and persona, too, that, like, us as fans, like, just love and are so drawn to him. And it's just, like, you can't not like Jumbo. Like, there's just 
you know, people complain about Marlowe. People are kind of like, eh, like Paz, but like, I've never heard anybody like, not just not even if not Sharks, like say anything bad about Joe Thornton. Like everyone just loves him. He's just one of those players. Be great, we, we be great if Randy. Fortune. It'd be great if Randy jumps in with a horrible story right now about Joe. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Since, well, actually, he killed a puppy. But no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about Joe Thornton. Uh, first, he tortured it. Um, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, you know, we were fortunate as a franchise to get him when we did because he was in his prime yeah. for a decade. Yeah. And he was the best passer in the NHL. I, I've never seen anybody pass the puck the way he did. Uh, and, you know, we were just lucky to watch him do what he did. And you know what? I hope it works out for him that he wins the Stanley Cup in Toronto. Um, and then and comes back. That would, that would be a great way for him to ride off into the sunset, which is right behind me. <laughs> right, yeah. That happens a lot uh, with players. I mean, they yeah. go in hockey more than anything. I feel they go to the team just to win the cup and go back, which is good for them, you know. Yeah, them. Right yeah, you want to see. Yeah, you yeah. want to see your guy. You want to see your your favorite players win, which is why. I mean, like, oh god, the whole Marlowe saga. Like, when he that first time he was gone, I almost died. Number one, my husband's like, "Why are you so upset?" I'm like, you don't get it. You just you don't get it. You grew up in Louisiana. You don't understand. Like, shut up, leave me alone. And then, you know, then he was back and then he's gone and then now he's back. And I was like, I'm sure you were there, you know, when he was like in tears, the whole stadium stood up and gave him a standing ovation for like one minute, his first like home game on the way team. Like, and he's crying, the fans are crying. I was crying at home, crying. Like everyone's crying. Like, you know, he's been the fan favorite for how many years for the San Jose Sharks? Like I can't even count, but it's just like, you guys have a huge impact. Like I, again, I think more than you guys think, like you, even you, Randy, it's just like, that whole franchise, like that, the impact you have is like, you know, when you think of the Bay Area, like that's our team. It's not just San Jose's team. That's the Bay Area's team. Like, you mm. know, you see Niners fans, you got Sharks fans, you see Ace fans, you see, you know, you see Giants fans, you see Warriors fans. Like everyone can come together over the Sharks and that we hate LA. You know what I'm saying? It's, like, it's not like down here where it's like, oh, we got LA in the case. It's like, no, LA can suck it. We're all going really hard for San Jose in the Bay Area right now. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. And it's, he's just like, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, like if you wear some King stuff up in the Bay Area, it's like you better take that off. Even like non-hockey fans will be like, get that shit out of here. Like, <laughs> <That's cute. laughs> yeah. Randy, I don't, I don't think you've ever been asked this. I'm going to go out on a limb and don't think you've ever been asked this. What's it like announcing in a video game? Uh, it's very tedious. Really? Uh, yeah, I want to know. Like, what, if you, I'm sorry, like we're keeping. If you have like a couple, of, like how how is that? How does that work? Well, it you know the, when I did video games was probably going back now ten years ago. So yeah, I've done for a while, and I'm sure the technology has improved. But when I did the uh, NHL 2K series, which ran for about four years, the first year of games that Drew Mend and I did. It took me 125 hours to do the first game. Oh my God! Oh my God. And they would only record it. They would only do it five hours at a time. So um, I, I just had, you know, for a month I was going to a studio uh, and doing that. So it was, it was, it was a lot of work. I, I'm sure it's a lot easier now because technology has improved, and you might even be able to do it from home with a microphone. Mm. I don't know, but. Um, you know, you're just talking in little bursts and saying names, and um, and then all that gets you know married together by the by the, uh, the processor and the, the technology. Um, it's fun when it's done, and your kids are playing a game that their dad's on. I mean, like you're, 
you're like the coolest dad forever, at least until they, they stop playing video games. But uh, yeah, it was a long, laborious process. And uh, it's not for the faint of heart, at least when I did it. You, you've got to be willing to understand that you're going to be doing it for a long time. And, and when you're doing that for five straight hours of calling, uh, doing calls and names and stuff like that, like you just want to go home. Now, was the, you don't got to say what you got paid, but was the check worth it or no? You wouldn't do it again. <laughs> At the time, it was great. You know, it was okay. fine. Um, but uh, the, the best, the best non-Sharks gig I ever got was the only movie I've ever been in. Yeah. Which was um, Inside Disney Out. Inside Out. And um, they contacted me because they wanted a Bay Area hockey announcer in the That's movie. so the cool. The movie was cast. You know, the, the theme of the movie was a, was a family in San Francisco. Yep. So if they were going to show a hockey game on TV, they, John Lasseter, who actually was a friend of mine, um, he was the uh, producer from, uh, from uh, of Inside Out um, with, with the, the Disney people. And they contacted me and said, do you want to do this? And I went, I went over to the Pixar Studios and uh, did a day of voiceover. And um, that movie won the Academy Award. Yeah. So the only movie I uh, I was ever in. Wait, let me see if I've got it here. Do you have an Academy Award? Did they give you one? Hold on. Hang on. No, I can't find. I can't find my 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 hand microphone. But oh. for only movie I ever did, Oscar drop mic. Right? Honestly, like, I'm yes. not, like, there's yes, nowhere else Randy. to go. It's like, and, and oh yeah, there. no. It was it was four it was four or five years ago, but I'm sure yes. that Oscar is still in the mail. Um, I'm sure it'll get here. But um, no, that thing was was great. And there's a really interesting thing when you're in movies uh, or television series called residuals. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Look it up. It's it's been very very good for me. I'm is sure. that is that because it won an Oscar? Well, it, it was just, it, it continues to be viewed by so many people. Hello, it's on Disney Plus now. Like, Yeah, <laughs> and thank you, Disney Plus. So there's a yeah. whole new stream. I yeah. was watching it and I remember, I heard your voice. I was like, why do I know that voice? Because I was, you know, because the little girl played hockey. Yeah. And I was like, why? I was like, why does that voice seem so familiar? No, I, like, I'm in a total of about eight seconds of the movie. Took me a whole minute to record I, my stuff. I know. And, I know and then that when, they, when, they, when they did the trailers, I was all over the trailers that came out on social media before the movie was released. They, they would release these two and a half minute trailers and my play by play was all I thought I'm going to be like one of the biggest things in this movie. I mean, it's just unreal. And then the movie came out. I went to the premiere in Hollywood. They invited me down and I sat next to Billy Crystal, who's not in the movie, um, but he was invited by Disney. You know, he's a, right. a Hollywood guy. And, they, you know, these pink was there and the guy sitting next to me, I didn't know who he was. Just, just a small little dude. Turns out it was Flea from Red Hot Chili Red Peppers. Peppers. He, he was there with his kids. And they were sitting next to me, and he says, oh, yeah, I'm in the movie, too. I do this voice. And I go, oh, okay, cool. And then I watched the movie, and there was my son. And, like, this little burst of play-by-play -play comes on at the beginning of the movie of me. And I said, yeah, that's one of my things. But there'll be much more. And then I was never on again. <laughs> oh, I picture you, you walk in oh, the red there's... carpet like the star. And just... Oh, yeah. No, no. We, got, we bought new stuff. We bought, like, <laughs> I, I think I went, like, Hugo Boss for that oh, one. that's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like of fame. Picture Flea tapping you on the shoulder. Yeah, I'm in the movie too. Yeah, like, all right, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right, pack it up. Right, yeah. And, and he's like, hey, no, I'm, he's, no I'm, I'm with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I said, so drums? I think a little guy. No, bass. Like, I didn't know. All right, so we have a final segment. It's called Gun to Your Head, Randy. It's like two questions we ask you. 
Okay. And you got to pick a winner at the end, all right? They're weird yeah. questions, kind of like a would you rather, but there's a little wordplay involved, all right? I got you. All right, so I'll go first. Would you give up your broadcast career for a Broadway career? I would give my broadcast career up for a Broadway career, absolutely, if I could sing. I'm incredible at karaoke, and Broadway is all about musical, so I'd have to be in a musical. All right, fair enough. How about Slap, Slapshot, the hockey musical? <laughs> the musical. All right, that works. <laughs> yes. All right, would you rather be known as the greatest announcer ever but never announce a Stanley Cup game-winning goal or not be known as the greatest announcer but – the Sharks win the Stanley Cup and you announce it. Absolutely. I could care less what I'm regarded by everybody else as greatest or not because there's a lot of great ones. I would give everything up to call a Shark Stanley Cup win. Okay, fair enough. Brian? Would you rather get four checked or have a massive forehead? <laughs> you know what? Four check, back check, I'll take paycheck. Uh, that, I like this guy. Would you rather get denied on Shark Tank or have to swim through a tank of sharks? I'll go Shark Tank. <laughs> I am not I am not good swimming through a tank of sharks. The other the other the other one would be heights. I'm not good at heights. And I Ellie. sit up in a press box. Go figure. <laughs> Ellie, you're up. Okay. Would you rather have SJ Sharky as your permanent roommate? Like He's, he's in your house 24-7. Or would you rather be in his costume for two months straight? Oh, that's, that's a lose-lose. <laughs> Have you ever been near him? That costume stinks. That costume is, is, old, is older than me, I know. It smells. How can it <laughs> not? What do, you, you, what do you think? He walks into the dry cleaner and hands that thing <laughs> off? Dry cleaner said, no, 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 we don't clean that. We, we'll clean your Uggs, but we won't clean that. No, I don't want to go any anywhere near any of that. Right. I'm out. Go on. Oh, come on. Okay. Uh, Randy, uh, really quick, Stanley Cup winner, who you got? For this year? Yep. I, I think we're going to have a repeat. I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to win it again. I agree with that. Randy, yeah. this is awesome. Thanks a lot for coming on. This is really cool. Hey, you want to – oh, yeah, sorry. Pick a winner. Yeah, oh, my God. Pick yeah. What's your favorite question? Oh, the favorite segment. gun to yeah. the – Favorite gun to the head question would be, would you give up being known as the most famous announcer you know or would you rather I, do a Stanley Cup? That's the Mickey, best God one. bless you. There's times <laughs> I need a victory, and this is the time. Hey, thanks a lot for coming out. Really appreciate it. If we yeah, could get you on, if, if you would come on again later on, that'd be awesome, by the way. This, this is really cool. All right. I, I, hey. I'd be happy to, and I sure hope you recorded this. Randy, thanks a lot. You, this okay. I won't really be weird, cool. I promise. Enjoy your dinner. It's <laughs> only 7 o'clock out there. Enjoy your Friday night, buddy. We're having Dungeness crab, fresh out Ooh, of the Pacific Ocean. Ooh, I was about to say, it's is. crab season. Because you're not from over is. here. You don't know. Right, you know, it's crab the, season. And my mom, the, like, this is, like, her time of the year. She's like, ah, oh, my crabs, yes. All the like, pork okay. roll, egg, and cheese. That's a horrible name. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here right now, it's about 8 degrees outside, so. Gross. Randy, I love you. I heard you're getting ready for a nor'easter, so yeah. good luck with that. Yeah, I also love how you added comedy to this episode by saying that if Panarin scores three goals, that was really rich of you, because we know that ain't never happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. We'll let you go, man. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank care. you so much, Randy. Nice to meet you. Thank you.